Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I took care of Greatest Generation business yesterday. It's how yeah. business gets done. <laughs> TCB. I spent a good 90 minutes at a bank. That's a thing that people do. They just sit there and they watch a bank person enter information into a computer on a screen with one of those reflective covers to it so that you can't see what they're typing in. They're typing in, bit of a dick, they're flagging your account. (laughs) They're like, extra die packs for this guy. (laughs) Die packs all around. You get a die pack. You get a die pack. You get a die pack. Recently learned that the die pack was like an aerosol bomb. I I didn't think that was the thing. I thought it was more paint like, like uh, like ew, it's all over my hands and clothes. But it's actually like a poof. Yeah. So what then? They just know that you're. That's just it's just evidence. If you're if you're poofed, right? I guess. I mean, the answers are still coming in, which is fun. Like I'm still reading tweet replies to that episode people have no idea what we're talking about because we are so far in the future yeah i know this is like six episodes ago we should stop (laughs) (laughs) anyway i was at the bank taking care of company business because uh by the time this episode goes out this will be the first day of our tour and uh and we need to we need to have a way to deal with the tour that is responsible and banks are a big big way to do that the way we did it on our last tour was like if we sold a merch item, we would take the money and put it in a box. And then at the end, we just kind of took a pair of scissors and cut all the money we had in half. And then you took one half and I took the other half. And it turns out that's not how money works, Adam. It's not, especially when you cut through the die pack. <laughs> yeah, why were people paying us with die packs? The feeling of talking to two bank employees, telling them what the name of your business was, having them ask you what (laughs) kind of business you're in, and then ask you what type of show you make. I mean, there's just nothing like it, Ben. uh, Like, the the confusion, the the quizzical, furrowed brow, like... (laughs) Like, there's seven steps of podcast business acceptance on the other end. Like, we've talked a lot about about those steps for you and me. But, like, when you're trying to do business with someone and explain why it is you're there. Yeah. Like, there's a good couple of seconds where the, where the lady, like, just sort of pushed back from her keyboard, <laughs> leaned back in her, in her office chair and was like, can't believe this is our world. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. What is it all for? I mean, this like these people must have to open accounts for like pornography businesses and shit too, right? Like one would l- hope. Like some dingling got a $50,000 loan from his father and opened a dildo store with it. The scene was like there was I was very obviously working with a trainee, with a trainer, 
sat right next to this person. <laughs> oh, that's even and better because because they can be like this. This is not normal. This is not like a typical. This this. I, I kept getting the vibe that the trainer knew, and was a viewer. Oh. And I kept wanting for there to be some sort of code between us. Yeah. Like, like you know the whole friends with Dorothy code. Like, <laughs> could there be? Like a friends of Shimoda type thing where like <laughs> if you are in mixed company and you aren't sure and you just want to like be sure in a safe way, like yeah. all she had to say was like, oh yeah, um, I'm, I'm friends with Shimoda. Yeah. That would, that would well, have put me at ease completely. So that wouldn't make any sense if you just like offered it. Yeah. But the, you, like. They would have to offer it. Yeah. Would they say, would they say to you, do you, uh. Do you happen to know a guy in the biz named Jim Shimoda? That would have been great. Yeah. And then I could be like, oh, yeah, uh, we uh, we are business associates. We've taken meetings together. Great guy. Unfortunately, Shimoda is in the name of the biz. So that would have, that would maybe more of a tell than than the, uh, than the banker would have wanted. What's, yeah. what's something else? Uh... <laughs> Friends of the Hood. I guess that has a whole lot of of different meanings too. Friends of DeSoto. Friends of DeSoto could work. Friends of DeSoto seems nice and obscure. Yeah, it's it's second level knowledge. Like big big fans of TNG don't even know who Captain DeSoto is. Yeah, I'm into that. Friends of DeSoto. Did you ever work with DeSoto? Oh yeah. <laughs> Best boss I ever had. <laughs> how about how about watching that take on? That would be great. That would be amazing. Uh, so if you see us at the live show tonight, come up and give us a wink. Ask us if we're friends of DeSoto. And uh, the password answer to that question is best boss I ever had. I love it. Fun. Fun. Well, best show I've seen in a long time, Ben, might be this one. What do you say we get started with Season 7, Episode 11? Parallels. I could do that. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Mm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. I was... I have seen this episode so many times that the cold open itself is like, get ready. (laughs) Like, returning from Forkus 3, champion standing... People getting maimed. He paints a, a great picture. And it's not supposed to be a surprise that Worf is so good at Batleth because he almost killed Kalis. Yeah. I wonder I mean, if Kalis was at this thing as part of his job. As like would, cultural administrator or whatever. He was at Forkus? Where were you at Forkus 3? Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. Yeah, man, if, if you can remember where you were at Forkus 3, you weren't really there. <laughs> is Forkus 3 like the apex Batleth competition, or is it kind of like a like an adult tennis club where it's, like, it's not about your USTA rank necessarily, it's just about staying active and having a social circle to be in? Is Forkus 3 like the All-Valley Karate Championships <laughs> in Karate Kid? Like, like it's just like, is this a tertiary tournament that makes up a sort of round robin of, of Batleth tournaments? I want to know more. Yeah. 
Is this something that people bet on? Oh yeah, I can did, get into that. Did Worf have to safety pin a number to his back? <laughs> safety pin a number to the arm that's about to get removed by Batleth. <laughs> uh, the trophy is pretty great. Yeah. This is another screen prop that I think would be real fun to own. Yeah. I don't I didn't check on that big eBay dump that happened a couple of months ago when they sold the nubbin with Trapper Keeper, but uh <laughs> ha- having the gr- champion standing or actually even better the like second the, the like ninth place uh yeah. trophy. I feel like that's the one. Do you think that people who were maimed finish before the bad Batleth people? Like, guys who were just shitty at Batleth get, like, honorable mention. But even people who had an arm detached, like, finish ahead of those people due to warrior status? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing that they issue a trophy for somebody as far down the uh, the podium as number nine. I feel like the uh, the creative that went into designing this trophy is like two lines. It's like a ball with knives coming out. Does that sound good? (laughs) Sounds great. Go with it. (laughs) Very short meeting for that. Yeah. So Worf is doing a log, a personal log, and we don't see this very often, do we? Yeah. We know it's, it's interesting to think about what Worf's private life is like. Does, is he, is he a journaler as this implies that he is? I mean, maybe he's been into it from the start, from way back in the live journal days. <laughs> I'd love to find that piece of uh, internet archaea, like the like go go on archive dot org and find Worf's old personal blog. Yeah, it's also Worf's birthday, so when he gets back to the ship, Riker's sort of walking him back to his quarters. Yeah, Worf is. He's got, um, he's like as suspicious as he should be in most other episodes, but isn't. (laughs) Um, Yeah, for some reason he's acting like a security person here. Yeah, head on a swivel, like checking his six. Um, And and Riker's... he just got back from Forkus 3. I think that's understandable. Yeah. Riker's got some great swagger here, which is, uh, you know, he's just kind of like going over the, the business and... Kind of barks at Worf when he realizes that Worf's attention is divided. Are you listening to me? Hmm? And um, Worf confesses that he's just a little worried that there may be some birthday surprise party hijinks afoot. Riker's response here is overly defensive in a really fun way. Like, yeah. when, a, when a friend has to defend a position this much, it's almost certainly a lie. A surprise party? Mr. Worf, I hate surprise parties. I would never do that to you. Like, he he, uh, he repudiates it more forcefully than the time Worf said that sexist thing about the uh, military dress uniform. <laughs> that That's a great point. We are seeing a lot of Riker-Worf friendship in season seven. I like seeing that. Their, their buddy cop film would be amazing. Like, Cass, Dorn, and Frakes in a... Like, like their characters have aged to the degree that they have aged in real life. Where in universe, like, you know, maybe Worf finished out his career as captain of Deep Space Nine or some shit. Frakes is like an admiral, admiral retired, and they get like called out of called out of uh, mothballs to like pursue some 
criminal element across the galaxy, and they like have to buddy up again. It's like uh, Starsky and an even more ugly Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> like they just go about, they go around in a runabout, like a Starsky and Loaf with a white stripe. Yeah, <laughs> be amazing. Well, sure enough, Worf walks into his apartment and, uh, you know, they do a couple of head fakes, but sure enough, it's a surprise party. And uh, they put uh, they put a party hat on his loaf. Always, always fun for a gag. <laughs> and uh, that is our that is our push to title sequence. One of the lowest stakes transition to titles that we've seen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Worf doesn't want a surprise party. <laughs> but his friends have other things on their mind. I mean, Worf doesn't even get the chance to shower the blood off of him after the Batleth tournament. Like, <laughs> like, how chapped do you think he is? Can you take a shower in a shuttlecraft? Can you take a shit in a shuttlecraft? This is the Vanagon question, right? Like, would you ever want a Vanagon that had the running water... Or would you want the kind without? Because I I would always want the kind without. The ones with the water supply always sort of smell. Yeah. And I feel like the shuttlecraft would be the same way. Right, because it's a closed system, and then you're parking it inside another closed system. Like, you can never <laughs> air it out. We never see the scene after the shuttle parks where they just hook up the plumbing. Yeah, where Jordy has to come with that big bendy blue <laughs> plastic tube. and. <laughs> yeah, Jordy can like one of the awful consequences of having a visor is knowing when a shuttlecraft is full of shit. <laughs> I bet that used to be O'Brien's job. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd prefer it over going home. <laughs> Had to pull a double down at the shuttlecraft lot, Keiko. I'm sure you understand. I'm gonna be late for dinner again. Yeah. Not that texturally it will be that distinct from the food you make. They sing him a rendition of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow in Flawless Klingon. Uh, They make some Klingon jokes. They announce that Picard will not be able to attend. They give him a gift that Alexander left for him. It's a cast of Alexander's forehead. The ridges of a warrior. And he starts to like he starts to like notice that shit is weird. Like the cake that they're eating, what like when he cut it had a it was chocolate frosting on chocolate cake. And now he's like standing them watching them all eat it and it's yellow cake with uh chocolate frosting. And I'm not talking about uranium. Cut to a really hilarious drop of Colin Powell presenting (laughs) pre-Iraq war intelligence. We know that Iraq has at least seven of these mobile biological agent factories. Uh, Picard is suddenly there, like he's just been in the room the entire time. Didn't like, didn't come in, didn't say hi, didn't like, didn't do any business getting his piece of cake. He's just standing there mid, mid slice chatting with Worf. And that doesn't jibe with what Worf was told. Uh, Worf is very confused. There's the business with this painting also, right? Data gives him a gift, and it's what you would expect a Data painting to be. 
they make make a big show of establishing the painting, like putting it on, like very, very specifically on the wall next to the door. The sort of proof that they're trying to give the viewer in training the viewer for what the episode is going to be is like you can't just have I thought Picard wouldn't be here and then he is. You need an actual physical example. You need Chekhov's painting. Yeah, they they're planting hella seeds. Yeah. The uh, the ship is in a uh, part of space proximate to Cardassia to check in on our old friend the Argus Array. One of the great arrays, Ben. One of the top arrays. This is the array that had that probe near it that made Barkley super smart. Yeah. I love this array. I mean, when you're listing the arrays alphabetically, this one's near the top. <laughs> I mean, especially if it's spelled with two A's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it's, it's almost like, guaranteed. It's like uh, it was just trying to get a jump on on the uh, business section of the phone book, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is important trivia too, because they're they're them being so proximate to Cardassian space, just sort of beds the whole geography with attention like it's not just going to be about why is Worf sort of losing his grasp of reality it's also a very dangerous place to have lost your grasp on reality yeah so he keeps kind of he keeps kind of like getting a little dizzy little uh you know just a little little head rushed and then when he gets his wits back about him finds that subtle changes have taken place within his reality like and and they're small at first like picard showing up at his party when he wasn't expecting him you know data and Jordy being on opposite sides of the engineering console the argus array has been like re retasked with doing surveillance on some deep space stations and like the the utopia planitia shipyards where the uh, federation builds its new ships Right. This is not good. It's like uh their own their own telescope has been pointed back at them and somebody else is uh is capturing the signals. So like a a a security concern and a and a tactical concern. So something that Worf should be on top of, but Worf is uh is not doing great. It's something that Worf should be on top of to the degree that Worf can be on top of anything. W slash R slash T security. Mm-hmm. And even a compromised wharf makes this worse. Like he, I think he goes to six bay because of the like dizziness he experiences in the engineering section. And like the, Dr. Crusher is like, well, like maybe you got bonked on the head in your Batleth competition because, you know, you obviously suck at Batleth. He's like, I don't suck at Batleth. I'm great at it. I won that tournament. Uh, and I can prove it to you. And he takes her down to his quarters and finds the ninth place statue on the on the table. And uh, that comes as a big surprise to him. But, like, everybody else on the ship has been under the impression that Worf was terrible at Batleth, apparently. The first mental banger that is visited upon Worf is that whole trophy thing. And it's the logs not matching. That's creepy as fuck. To be absolutely positive that you did a thing, to have physical proof and recorded proof and to have those things be different, that is textbook loss of sanity. And the doctor is like, well, you know, you your brain seems cool, so just keep an eye on it and give me a shout. 
if anything happens. So while the Enterprise is investigating what happened to the array, a Cardassian ship shows up where Picard and the Cardassian captain start chatting. They finally built a Cardassian bridge, Adam. Yeah. (laughs) And Worf sort of chimes in at Picard and was like, well, that guy was lying. That ship was responsible for reprogramming the array. Because we know from the conversation we had in engineering that the Cardassians boarded the array, aimed all the telescopes at us, and have been stealing the information. And Picard and Riker wheel around at Worf and are like, Are you suggesting that you have evidence that the Cardassians have tampered with the array? And Worf is like, you know, in engineering. Like, earlier today, we figured that out, remember? I haven't heard anything about this. Neither have I. Picard's like, I was having breakfast with Beverly, like always. We're on to croissants now. Great. (laughs) Much better breakfast, much lighter breakfast. The key to any breakfast companion relationship is communication. Worf, you might want to you might want to tinker with what your breakfast routine is in the morning, bud, because this isn't working out. Mm-hmm. Data even rebukes him too. Worf is like, "Data, you were there, remember?" And Data wheels around at at the con and is like, "No, <laughs> no, I wasn't, and neither were you." And Worf has that look on his face, like, "I'm going crazy. This is it for me. I better go back to my quarters." It's great because this is like. You know, like we've had this episode for pretty much all the other characters, but Worf has never been imbued with a kind of technocratic air about him, you know? Yeah. Like when the doctor is in a universe that is changing and shrinking around her, she's got some kind of established tools at her disposal to deal with it. And Worf is just not that character. So it's it's really fun to have a premise where it it kind of would it's a premise that would fit another character being the the alpha in a storyline and giving it to Worf is uh is great. Yeah, how interesting is that? Anyone else would have a little more medical acumen or or an ability to address their mental circumstances in a way that would be far stronger than how Worf is able to? Yeah, they they have a mastery of like technical shit that that Worf is you know it's just not his specialty just as every other person on the senior staff is a credible witness to their own reality Worf is given that same credit so Troy is the first person that he really kind of like lays this on like I have this one concept of what's going on and reality seems to be shifting over and over again and he's like actually having this conversation with her while things are changing around him. Like he's looking around his apartment and he sees that Data's painting is not where it was very conspicuously hung in that first scene. And now it's not only not in the same place, but it's not the same painting. Yeah, the rate of changes seems to be increasing. Yeah. as Because it's Jordy and Troy and Worf in his quarters now, and they're all trying to figure out what's going on. And it's like... The painting changes, Troy's clothing changes, the painting composition changes. Yeah. Not just position, and it's getting scary. Until Worf finally just sort of collapses into Geordi's arms. Yeah, he sort of achieves full temporal arousal and wakes up and, like, he is at his station on the bridge, but the bridge is a little different. Like, there's some, like, different design choices at play. 
and Picard is asking him to hit the trigger. Now! On a Bajoran ship that is coming in. And uh, the Bajoran ship looks just like a Cardassian ship, and Worf can't find the shooting button on his panel. It's really, it's sort of shot like a bad dream, too. Like, when Worf comes to, we're tight on him, he's trying to figure out the keypad, people are just yelling at him. The the terror of this moment is so pronounced. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, Worf? You're going to kill us all. I love that tight framing because, you know, all you want in in these moments when when time changes is context, like... Explain yeah. to me what's going on as quickly as possible. And when it's tight on his face, you're robbed of that. And it's like, it like really puts the viewer in the same kind of emotional place as the character. Yeah, it's great technique. It puts you in his position in a way that, that makes you feel. Well, the other position that he's in now is one of having a wife, Adam. He was a Klingon <laughs> and a single parent. Or I heard my son. That was a very Kevin E. Worf, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Can you do a... You can't do a Worf, can you? Worf seems pretty difficult. Worf is hard to do. I mean, you can just go deep. Sir, I'm dressed as Worf, son of Moog. I can't, though. My thin, reedy voice can't go that deep. In an episode full of parallel universe changes, this might be one of the bigger leaps, right? Right. It's a really great scene because she kind of walks in like she owns the place, which she does, and he just doesn't know what to make of it. She goes into the bedroom and he does that, you know, little rascals look around the corner. <laughs> like, what are you doing in my bedroom, Troy? And she, she like calls him over and like takes his hair tie out and starts giving him a, a shoulder rub. It's interesting to see... Marina Sirtis and Michael Dorn that close to each other, like close enough to be touching because you really see how giant he is. Yeah. And how tiny she is by comparison, like her tiny hands rubbing his giant shoulders. It's like, I can't even see that massage being especially comforting. (laughs) Worf is like harder, harder, harder. Harder. Why don't you go into your nightstand and get out one of your vibrators? <laughs> Why don't you hit me with that music box you kept? Worf undoes his hair and just sort of shakes it out. And, uh, <laughs> and he has got really long locks. Very lush. great. He's using that Neutrogena tea gel. <laughs> this episode of The Greatest Generation, of course, brought to you in part by Neutrogena tea gel. It works. When your mind is failing, it's got to be nice to have someone be nice to you in that moment. Because if he were alone, can you imagine retiring to your condo by yourself to try to figure this out? He really needs her. And she is sort of the perfect person, married or not, to to go on this journey with him, right? Right. It's what makes this episode not full of terror and instead more of a straight mystery episode than a horror movie. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see him kind of accept that that comfort even though he doesn't really understand it. Yeah. 
Like, I don't know why you're here rubbing my shoulders, but I appreciate that you are. So Troy and Worf go to engineering and work with data on, on some sort of scan to figure out if there are subspace anomalies that would account for Worf's shuffling through his own reality. Worf is like, listen, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, Troy, but to me, we're not married. <laughs> Worf is like, so Data, uh, how did that happen? <laughs> Data, who has blue eyes in this scene. Yeah. He looks great without contacts. He looks just as robotic. It's it's fun. Like that that subtle little change is like it's just one of so many de- you know, like it's it's hard to get attention to detail stuff right when yeah. you're just slamming through a 25 episode production schedule. Yeah. And uh you know, there's lots of episodes where the details totally get screwed up and this episode really doesn't miss these little little bits, you know, that really add to the the texture of it. Yeah, it rewards rewatching. Data's like, "My understanding your romantic affiliation began shortly after you recovered from your spinal injury on Stardate 45587." And uh not long after you asked yes Riker if it would be okay if you could get down with that. You felt to do otherwise would be dishonorable. And then you got married. It was great to hear someone else describe your relationship story to you. Yeah. Has got to be so in- so strange. Yeah, I don't know many people that could describe mine to me. Ten years ago, along the same stretch of road, I saw the worst accident I ever seen. Yeah, and that's sort of a way that, on a baseline level, it it would just feel wrong. Anyway. Yeah, but keep in mind, this is like living on the entrepreneur is like living in a small town. You know, you yeah. know everybody. Yeah. So your business has got to be out in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or the uh the hallways as it were you gotta believe that you're getting the straight dope from data too he's not sugarcoating anything no he, he's like i could tell you when i think you first had sex would you like <laughs> to know that <laughs> i've thought about it many times so they're like well maybe jordy can help us figure this out and jordy has been taken to six bay because i guess in the in the firefight with the bajorans they had like a plasma leak and Jordy was taken to six bay. So they go down to six bay and chief medical officer Ogawa greets them and is very sad to inform them that he dead. They could only pronounce him dead once they stripped LeVar Burton down to like an appropriate <laughs> level of side butt. They really show a lot of Burton here. <laughs> Jordy's character throughout this episode gets a lot of strange things to do. <laughs> this is i mean like he's as nude as picard was in that uh picard gets tortured by the cardassians episode the most nude of any of the main cast characters lavar <laughs> burton saw that episode and he's like i'd like to get me a little bit of that listen the part of my body where my leg connects to my torso is just as good looking as the part of of uh jail pipes is so let's get that on camera Look, if I can't act with my eyes, allow me to act with my side butt. <laughs> so they're like down there bumming out about this and Worf gets a head whack again, opens his eyes and Ogawa has been replaced by Dr. Beverly. His shirt has been replaced with a red. They've gone to the uh, pips as backing on the on the badge look. 
The bridge is super different again. And he is second in command of the entrepreneur. And so like bits and pieces of different continuities kind of like keep coming in and out. Like now it's Ogawa, now it's Crusher, now it's the painting over in the corner of the Klingon ship. Now it's a more impressionistic painting of a Klingon battle. Like little little stuff keeps changing. Riker is the captain and they've determined that something to do with Geordi's visor is the culprit. Uh, every time Worf is around Geordi's visor, it is knocking him into a different quantum reality. Mr. Worf does not belong in our universe. What? And that is like the big clue that they needed to go find out what happened to him only. Like what, what part of space his shuttlecraft flew through to cause this. And so the timeline he's in now is dead Jordy. Will Wheaton is back as a uh, as as a yellow shirt lieutenant. Wesley, the boy, the boy, young Wesley Crusher, my son, with slicked back hair though. Yeah. So I was expecting him to lose a parent at any moment. <laughs> it was fun to see him again, right? It's been a long time. Yeah. He's really grown up a lot since he was last on the show. You see him in the McLaughlin group. Issue one. Sort of participate in this PowerPoint presentation that Data has about what's actually going on with Worf. Yeah. And Data's presentation is one of the coolest presentations of an idea on this show. There is a theory in quantum physics that all possibilities that can happen do happen in alternate quantum realities. The quantum reality idea is something that really appeals to me on a base level. Like, there's some comfort I have in that for some reason. The (laughs) idea that that could be real. It also means that there are no wrong decisions. There are just different decisions. Well, it's a real theory in quantum physics. My body is (laughs) a prison while my mind is freedom incarnate. And, you know, I don't know how realistic this depiction of it is, but it's... It's really fun when Star Trek takes these kinds of ideas. Like, I guess you could criticize it for being like, I guess in 300 years we'll have like more, a more nuanced understanding of it than they, you know, like data introduces it. Like this is a new one on everybody, (laughs) but like, but it is, it's, it's a, it's a really fun episode that like actually takes a real science concept and, and like has Star Trek like fun with it. You know, like we're 30 minutes into the actual episode when this idea is introduced. And this could be the underpinning for a lot of episodes. And I don't mean this concept specifically, but like taking a scientific concept like this can be the basis for a lot of fun science fiction episodes. And this was not a course that this show tended to chart very often. Right. Yeah. Letting letting the kind of letting the tumblers fall in place as it as it introduces you to a concept like this. Yeah. Because it's, you know, like they have not gotten to the climactic sequence at all. Like this is just giving you a little bit more context for what's going on and understanding, but they still need to solve the problem. So they show up at this spot in space and it's a quantum fissure. And I guess basically the deal is that Worf kind of came unstuck from his quantum reality and something in the visor is enabling him to slip between them. And they're trying to 
they're trying to like open up the fissure so that they can send Worf back through it. But uh, it doesn't go quite as expected, does it, Adam? They're attacked while they're shooting a beam into it. Yeah, those those nasty Bajorans come back. They've damaged our power system, sir. It's caused an energy surge within the subspace pulse. The quantum fissure is beginning to destabilize. The Bajorans, with all their out-of-uniform code earrings and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. And the fissure inverts itself. It uh, It prolapses. like a deadlifter letting it go out the bottom of his leotard the the fissure prolapses and the barriers between quantum realities are breaking down other realities are emerging into our own dozens and dozens of entrepreneurs start to seep into the reality that they are all in I like as an afterthought, it's mentioned that, like, the Bajoran ship has left the sector, <laughs> like, n- <laughs> unwilling to take on the 200 Enterprises. Yeah, they're like, uh, oh, fuck, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> My love is a They scan around for the correct entrepreneur, the one that, the one that we've been following for the last six and a half seasons. And they find it. And uh, Captain Riker talks to Captain Picard on the FaceTime about what their plan is. And in this, in the in the reality that uh, of the ship that we're on, Picard bought it in the Locutus incident. It's hard for me to articulate why this was so affecting because we have spent 150 episodes making fun of every character on this show. Maybe mostly <laughs> Picard himself. But when Riker, at the end of this conversation, just sort of turns back at the view screen and tells Picard... It's good to see you again, Captain. It's been a long time. I was fully choked up at that. Oh, I'll tell you why it's so affecting, Adam. It's uh, Frakes' performance. It's amazing. He, like, fully commits to the reality of, I have been captain of this ship for five years or whatever. It's the quantum reality we talked about when we reviewed the Best of Both Worlds episode, and we noted that it was so Riker-centric, that it was a two-parter about Riker, that we had wondered what the show would have been like with him as captain, and like that that haunting him for his career. Yeah. This is what we get to see. We got a glimpse of it, and, and Frakes' performance of it was... It delivers. ...some of his best work. Yeah. It was his finest moment. Yeah, it's super good. So they've got to get Worf back in the exact same shuttlecraft that he was supposed to be on and send him back through the fissure. They've got to pump all the shit back into it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to need a cleanup crew. (laughs) There's just guys. Uh, This pump normally doesn't go in reverse. There's just guys in hazmat suits everywhere. (laughs) Just a slowly growing brown pool around the shuttle. (laughs) we like there's there's no drains in the shuttle bay so they've got to like use those mop squeegees and push it out into space yeah it's the only way to be sure yeah it just it just turns into particles as it goes out the (laughs) off the edge of the ship fucking a i like that in this universe Worf was like promoted ahead of data (laughs) like Worf totally leapfrogged data in this universe yeah how weird is that Wild. I won't say it's touching. There's an interesting goodbye scene in the shuttle bay 
Like, everyone in this universe knows that Worf doesn't belong there. And yet, there is a chance that Worf dies doing this. And the amount of emotion they prescribe to the goodbye is interesting in that there isn't much of it. It's almost as if the Riker of this universe, everyone except for Troy, I should say, has just sort of come to understand that this isn't their wharf and they they don't treat him as emotionally as they would treat their own wharf. Did you get any of that? It's, they just sort of box him up and send him away. I mean, there is that little final kiss between him and Troy and he kind of commits to it, but maybe six and a half seasons of uh, of the show in... These characters are used to somebody being not what they seem and can like compartmentalize and recategorize them really quickly. Yeah, I guess so. You and I know the stakes of this episode. If they're unable to get him back through the hole, then the enterprises are going to fill the sector and everyone's going to die. Yeah, they totally have one of those epidemiology maps where they show like, this is how many enterprises there are in the sector now. (laughs) By this time next week, they will have taken over all of North America by a month from now, the world. Yeah, it's zombie movie math. Yeah. So uh, so they get him in the shuttle. He's heading back and... Captain, the shuttlecraft is under attack. The Bajorans again. No, sir, it's one of the Enterprises. They're hailing us. They get him on the FaceTime, and this entrepreneur is not in good shape. You could say it's bedraggled. <laughs> yeah. Riker is... Uh, is has got a great bushy beard and uh Worf is uh Worf is there they're like they're like pulling out strips of duct tape and like pushing pushing components back together <laughs> and they're basically saying like you don't know what it's like in our universe the federation's gone the borg is everywhere they like it here just fine they are going to destroy the shuttlecraft and and uh, not go back to the hell that they've been subjected to ever since the Locutus incident. It's an amazing moment. You've got to help us. I'm sorry, there's no choice. If this works, everything will return to... No, we won't go back! It's another mind-bending moment. Like, what happens if they do destroy the shuttle? Do all the Enterprises get to stay? Is that really what would happen? It's sort of like the whole meeting yourself in a time travel movie thing. Yeah. And also, like, the like the doom that they are going to be subjecting these people to is so awful, you know? Yeah. They, they're like, we've got to seal this fissure so that it doesn't fill space with entrepreneurs. But, but some of the realities that are getting restored in so doing are, are fucking terrible. The margins that Frakes gets to play in in this episode may be the furthest distance apart from any episode of the series because he plays the understatement of the it's good to see you it's been a long time and he also plays full feral Riker (laughs) ready to kill Worf if it means staying alive and staying in this universe yeah like it's great what we could call Riker Prime the Riker of of our final universe is forced to fire on bedraggled Riker yeah he Orders tactical Wesley to uh, return torpedo fire. It hits one of the many many ships in the in the frame, and uh, it it uh, it explodes very easily. 
Does this count as suicide if Riker kills himself in this manner? <laughs> I think it, uh, at least it, it at least counts as autoerotic asphyxiation. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if on any of these ships, Thomas Riker was its captain. Well, that's interesting. If any possible outcome that could happen has happened, then there is a ship out there that's captained by Deanna Troy. Yeah. Or or Wesley or Data. There's a, there's a ship that's captained by Rick. There's one that's captained by Morty. <laughs> I like what you got. Good job. One of the reasons this episode could have been a two-parter is just to further demonstrate what rich tapestry this is. Like, I want to see more realities on these enterprises. Yeah. They only give us a couple. It's got to be pretty tricky to refit the bridge, though, right? Like, like yeah. oh, if you drop that thing and it hits the the uh, tactical console, like it costs us like eighty thousand dollars to replace that part of the set. Yeah, it's not like taking Brent Spiner's contacts out. Yeah, these are substantial changes. So they. Uh, the threat is eliminated. Worf Prime is in the shuttlecraft, and uh, as he goes through the space butthole, there's a great scene where, like, the like multitudes of Worf that could potentially be in the shuttlecraft are in the shuttlecraft at the same time. <laughs> there's just like a bunch of him standing around in the back, got you know one of them walking from back to front, one of them furiously jerking it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you got time to kill on the road. <laughs> it gets crazy on the road and awful lonely. That's why I love pornography. He wakes up on the floor of his Previa, and uh, he's back in his yellow shirt. He uh, checks in with the entrepreneur to see if everything is is chill, and then he finds his first place champion standing trophy. And uh, is very gratified to discover that uh, all is well. I was a little conflicted by the button on this episode because you could make the case that maybe this is not the same reality he left. Maybe he returned to a slightly different reality where he and Deanna Troy were closer than they would be normally. Or this is exactly what his old reality was like and he decides to take a shot by pouring some champagne for Deanna and and them having some dinner together. Yeah, so he's gone back a couple of days in time, so nobody's aware of what happened. And yeah. like he walks in to his room expecting the surprise party to be there, but it's just him and Troy and and yeah, like I think that there is a distinct possibility that this isn't quite the reality he left. I think that is a more interesting ending than what I think it probably is, which is just him getting back to his reality early enough to affect changes to it in such a way that Riker isn't a part of the walk back to the room. So in this reality, did the Cardassians still compromise the Argus array? That's a great question. I guess I guess we don't we don't get to that. That's still yeah. in the future from, from where the episode ends. Yeah. The resolution is is personal instead of professional. Worf pours uh, champagne for my real universe, real pain for my sham universe. 
Nicely done, Adam. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. Did you like the episode? I liked it as much as ever. It is one of the ones that if I want to play random Trek with myself and just watch something great and satisfying, this is one of the ones. It's most definitely on the mountain for me. It sounds not so random, Adam. Yeah, but like, you know, if you you want to flip through the library and watch something that you know will be satisfying... Yeah. This this after its many viewings is no less satisfying now. So fun. Yeah, I'm right there with you, buddy. Any more to add than that? I don't think I have anything else. All right. I have something to add to this. Priority 1 messages. Want to check them? Let's check them. Priority 1 message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Mock. It is for Kristar, Shrimp, Kolgar, and Mike. It goes like this. Mike, thanks for my drunk Shimoda shirt. Kristar, thanks for my other drunk Shimoda shirt. And for tipping us off to this pod. <laughs> Happy birthday, Casey. You're the best. As badass as Ensign Rowe, and as omnipotent as Q and Kevin put together. To celebrate your day, Cal has been sent an avalanche of Sears gift cards. <laughs> I feel like the Mike Mock Colgaraverse have not gotten their due as very reliable repeat priority ones. Yeah, absolutely. They're much like... Uh, any decision that can be made has been made. Mm-hmm. There's an alternate universe here. Yeah. That is being painted with very bright colors. Our next priority one message is from your lemony wife, and it is for my noodly husband. Goes like this. Depending on when this airs and when you listen, happy birthday, anniversary, or Captain Picard Day, whichever is closest. Let's drive off into the sunset in our flat pack camper van. You pack your deepest V and I'll set the Horgon to stun. Thanks for being the husband I need and the dodo our gours deserve. I love you. <laughs> I didn't know that Horgons had uh, had a modular setting. You and me both. Yeah. I wonder if their flat pack camper van uh, has the water supply or not. Oh, yeah. And if they and if they park it on a larger camper van, thus <laughs> thus preventing them from being able to air it out. Yeah, yeah. I think we might need more details here. <laughs> yeah, right in. Does uh, is, are you are you pushing a runabout or more of a prev? <laughs> and noodly husband, you keeping it al dente over there? <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> Well, one uh, one way to keep our show perfectly al dente <laughs> is uh, through supporting it through the purchase of a Priority One message bin. You can do that by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. It's a great hey, way to support the production of our program. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. I did. Um, 
I'm going to give it to Riker for that first scene that uh, he and Worf are in. Um, Worf is coming back from a Batleth competition with a ball that has spikes coming out of it and a sword. He's clearly very jumpy, and Riker is just going to let him walk into a room full of people waiting to surprise him. That seems <laughs> super, super bad judgment. They are taking up also like a disproportionate amount of hallway with this walk. How do you get around Worf? Yeah. He's he's carrying five total pointy blades. That is the ultimate man spread. <laughs> yeah. How about yourself? Did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? Yeah, I did. And it's sort of making fun of someone in a way that is maybe more cruel than we usually get. But there's the scene where Data's doing the McLaughlin group and he is explaining what should be like melting everyone's brains in the entire room about this quantum reality thing. Uh The only person in the room who is super hip to the idea and portends to get everything that's happening is Beverly, (laughs) who you get a quick cut to her and she's like got her thumb and crook of pointer finger on her chin and she's like nodding like, yes, yes, I get this. (laughs) I read Neil Stevenson's book, Anathem. I I know the basics of this premise. Like, the idea of, like, looking like you get it when there's no fucking way you get it feels <laughs> feels a little bit Shimoda-y to me. So I'm giving mine to Beverly. Fun. Darmok, Angela, and Tanaga. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES 
to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 12, The Pegasus. Riker's torn when his former commander, now an admiral, orders him to hide the real purpose of a risky mission from Picard. Do you remember this episode, Adam? They, I want to say there are like four really, really good Season 7 episodes, and I think this is one of them. This might be number four. Yeah. This I remember like this one being great. Single line pitch of like, what if the Federation had dabbled in cloaks? Yeah. Ill- really illegal good. weapons technology. Yeah. This is a definite post Roddenberry episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. Well, that's our next episode. So uh, tune in next time for that. Uh, in the meantime, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review for the show. Helps us find new viewers and helps new viewers find us uh if you like the show so much you'd like to support it financially there's a bunch of ways to do that you can go to maximumfund.org slash donate or you can go to maxfunstore.com and grab a t-shirt or you can come to one of our many live shows that are happening all over the midwest and northeastern united states at the time of the release of this episode i'm sure you have noticed by now a lot of work goes into this and uh really helps keep us going so thanks for that really does uh we should thank dark materia for our theme music and adam ragusia for a lot of the other music you hear on the program thanks to the great folks at maximumfun.org for all their support thank you for listening with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek the next generation and an episode of the greatest generation that is occupying the same time and space as a giant rock in outer space.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.